This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. Uh, my name's Tony, I'm an Addictive Eater. Hi. Uh, it's good to be here. I, um, it's also good that I haven't really given much thought to, to tonight. Uh, earlier today, and I, I went for a walk and thought it was better to listen to a a guy called Michael S. rather than Tony S. So I did that for the duration. And um, yeah, but basically, uh, you know, when I think back, I mean, I just believe I was born an addictive eater, that um, you know, definitely born an addict, um, that you know, right from the outset, my eating seemed a lot different to, you know, and certainly my friends and most members of my family. And uh, basically, um, but also, I really relate to the, uh, you know, to the kind of basic bedevilments in the, in the big book of um, AA, where it talks about, you know, feeling, you know, a sense of uselessness, self-pity, all those sort of character defects, which I, you know, I think are a big part of um, addiction for me. Uh, and food took the edge off that, you know, right, you know, right from the outset, you know, that, um, and, uh, you know, so I ate addictively right from the start, and. You know, for 42 years, you know, it was, it was like that. Um, and, you know, so over the years I ate, you know, sort of stolen food, frozen food, burnt food, food, food that had been in rubbish bins. Um, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't stop eating, you know, and, uh, and, you know, with that went kind of, you know, those feelings of sort of uselessness and self-pity just, sort of intensified really and um, um, yeah, I remember being you know, sort of 12 years old in a, um, in a, in a woodwork class at, at school which I absolutely dreaded, you know, like woodwork. But uh, in this class, one of my classmates uh, you know, fainted and hit the ground and it turned out he was, he was rushed off to the hospital, it turned out he had ruptured his spleen which was you know, quite serious back then. And, um, Honestly, within about an hour, there were people in, in our class writing Get Well Brian cards to him in hospital. I was queuing up to get his sausages and chips at the school canteen. As soon as he hit the ground, that's all I could think about was, you know, that guy buys his lunch every day. I hated him for that. And today is my lucky day. <laughs> you know, selfishness, self-centeredness, you know, kind of. And... A friend of mine came with me to the uh, canteen, and where I gave sort of my uh, his name and our class number, and you know, I mean, people must have known I was sort of you know twice his size. <laughs> and my friend used to laugh about it because he said that um, I begrudgingly gave him a few chips from the bag, but there were two sausages in the bag, and there was no way he was getting those. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I mean, that's just the obsession, you know, like that's how I relate to the obsession, you know, that a, a, normal, a normal eater doesn't have that obsession about someone's sausages and chips when they've ruptured their spleen or in the hospital. And, um, and so, you know, right through school, I was, I was the, the person that would, you know, would, I mean, we'd all raid the tuck shop, but, you know, people would take sort of jet plane lollies and I'd take, you know, sort of pies and buns. And the, the staff always knew who to come to. You know, they always just, you know, and you know, it was, it was always humiliating. 
but I couldn't stop doing it. You know, just that, you know, just that experience. I just could not stop doing it. And uh, you know, for years, I you know, like I, what I've come to believe, I think for me is that you know, perception is a big part of this disease. So I had a perception that I was a you know, fat, overweight kid. Um, but you know, looking back at um, sepia-toned black and white photographs, that wasn't necessarily the case. You know, so um, but in my mind, it was and. But when I started drinking at, a, at you know, regularly at 14 and drank alcoholically from the start, that's when I did start to actually live up to that image. I started to put on weight. And uh, you know, so when I left high school, I was still nominally you know, kind of a, a serious sports person. Um, within 12 months of being a you know, tertiary student, I put on between 25 and 30 kg and uh, was anything but a serious sports person, you know, and I, I just could not stop eating and drinking that year. You know, kind of, and it was the first time I'd, I'd have I'd had my own sort of stash of money. Um, and there were times that year where I was cashing in soft drink bottles to get food. You know, like there was a, a chicken and chips place in Wellington where they had ten roast potatoes for a dollar, and you know, 10 for a dollar, you know, sort of, um, so I would go around cashing, you know, Coke and Fanta bottles to get the dollar, or the two dollars to get the 10 or the 20 roast potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, my, my eating was always like that, and a big part of it too was, uh, of the addiction to me was, you know, the geographical cure, moving from one place to another, hoping it would be a fresh start, and it was always the same, you know, alcohol and food were, were always there, drugs, when I can get it, um, and uh, and the depression would get worse, so pills were involved. And so when I was nineteen, I you know I, I started a job where I got you know sort of basically hoodwinked into taking out an insurance policy, but they wouldn't actually uh, insure me because I, I was nineteen years old, about nineteen stone, and I had a high blood pressure, and was deemed to be a heart attack risk at nineteen. Yet you know. You know, I, I was still playing kind of senior level sport at that time, so um, so I thought I've got to do something about this, and I went to the first, you know, I went to Weight Watchers for the first time, and uh, I just couldn't stick to their food plan, you know, like, but in my mind, you know, where the problem was centred, uh, I thought, you know, the week at Weight Watchers was Monday to knock off time Friday at work, and then the weekend was mine, so I was always living for Friday four o'clock of it. And I'd go on an almighty, you know, eating and drinking binge, go to Weight Watchers on the Monday night and still lose weight. And I, I thought I'd beaten it, you know, because I was always looking to beat it and control it. And uh, a few years later, when I when I first came to a meeting here, uh, I spoke to a woman who said that she used to go to Weight Watchers on Mondays and get her hair cut every day before she went. And I thought that was never an option for me. <laughs> but, um, so you know that was the start of being in and out of organisations like Weight you know, Weight Watchers, looking uh, you know to grab the latest fad diet, you know the F the F plan. If anyone remembers that, you know I always thought it stood for failure. You know um, I I just couldn't do it. So um, and I as as a result of my addictive eating, I, I suffered you know a bad knee injury playing football which meant I could never play football again, which was a big part of my life, you know, and I, um, 
I got more and more depressed, so I just ate and drank and drank more. That was my that was my kind of solution. And by the stage, I was married for the first time. Uh, you know, we just bought a house. Um, uh, we're about to have a family, and and my wife said to me that I had to do something, or she was you know gone. And I don't I don't remember seriously looking for something, but. I was working at the um, at a daily newspaper, and I saw an advert in the paper for uh, a 12-step um, fellowship for food, and I thought that'll make a great story. But what I believe was it was my higher power saying, "You need this," because I mean, I'd seen that ad; it used to just stand out in a sort of sea of black ink. It would sort of almost have a neon sign, you know, sort of. A, and so in those days, I, you know, you had to write. To the uh, organisation, and uh, so I did that. Said that I was a journalist and I wanted to write a story about about the fellowship, and I got a letter back saying, "Well, you know, my, the best way would be to come to a meeting." So I did that. I, you know, so I, I, I came to um, uh, my first meeting. I I can't remember exactly what I heard because I I'd come from the uh, from the pub where I'd been for a few hours, but I do remember being really impressed at. Um, People saying that you know they'd lived all their lives with the obsession to eat, but you know, and most people still had it at that meeting. They were exactly like me, but there were you know there were two or three people who said that they no longer you know the obsession had been removed through through the twelve steps of that fellowship and, and a power greater than themselves. And I remember being really impressed with that because I just imagined I'd be battling that all my life, um, but I wasn't impressed enough to want to stop. And a little while later, um, a couple of people from that from that group came around and saw me on a twelve step call. And by that stage, everything you know, was hanging by a thread. My, you know, my job, marriage, sanity. You know, it was all sort of starting to kind of look pretty wobbly. And uh, you know, they said to me, if I wanted to get well, I'd have to give up drinking, drugging, eating, and you know, come to come to the twelve um, step program and um, and, and work the steps, you know. And I just remember thinking at about the age of 25, 26, I, I, you know, what an order, I, I, I just can't do that. I mean, to me, those things were the things that were keeping me going. So I went on my not so merry way for another few years and um, I ended up, another geographical, ended up uh, up in Nelson at the top of the South Island and thinking there'll be a fresh start here, you know, you know great climates, you know, Know a lot of people here, that sort of thing, and um, and it all got it all got a lot worse. And uh, yeah, one day I was uh, I was in the uh, newsroom of the newspaper, and we got word of this boat that was burning out in the harbour. You know, it caught fire you know, in sort of Tasman Bay, and so a photographer and I were dispatched to go down to the port, hire a boat, and go out and get a photograph and a story of this uh, burning boat. So you know, we, we hired this um, boat and uh, we, we, we set off and we weren't making great progress. And the skipper of the boat turns around and said, look, I don't want to be rude, but he said, uh, we'd get out there a hell of a lot faster if you got off. <laughs> <laughs> and so he put me ashore on, um, on, a, on, a boulder, on the boulder bank at Nelson um, where I sat watching this boat bending up. And the photographer went out, got photographs, um, and they came back and picked me up, and 
the photographer could not wait to get back to work <laughs> to tell everybody. <laughs> um, and so I thought I'd better do it. And there were, there were people in that newsroom just you know, in tears laughing. You know. um, and there was somebody who worked in that newsroom who um, had said to me a couple of times over the years, you know, um, one, one day someone said they, they come into the office eating an ice cream on a hot summer's day and someone said, oh, if you eat too many of those, you'll, you'll be as big as a house. And she piped up and said, you mean as big as Tony? <laughs> and on another occasion, she saw me, I was working at my desk eating my sandwiches, which were probably my second lunch of the day, because that was normally the pattern. And I looked up and I saw something that I won't go into here, which horrified me enough to screw up my sandwiches and throw them in the rubbish bin, which is a very rare event. And uh, she feigned a heart attack, saying she'd just see me throw away food. You know, which... But anyway, a, few, a little while after that, that person came into, you know, into Alcoholics Anonymous and got sober, and I watched her life change. And uh, she was the, the person that I approached um, when you know, I realised that, you know, that my drinking was killing me. Um, and while, while I was on my walk today, I actually got a message from, from, from her. You know, she took me to my first ever meeting. And she was on a walk and had heard, heard a song that reminded her of my, what they called a passing out parade at Queen Mary Hospital. That wasn't when you fainted, it was when you left the place. You know? And, uh, and you know, just um, reflecting on the fact that, um, you know, that, that was kind of like the start of... Of, of, you know, my, my first very tentative steps into recovery, but but so but what I believe really, and um, you know, what I believe totally is that I wasn't I wasn't in recovery at that time when I left that treatment centre because I was still absolutely mired in the food, and um, you know that was my that was to be my pattern for thirteen more years after that was that I was an AA, not drinking, not drugging by. By a miracle, and you know, I believed in a power greater than me. But I, um, I believed that that you know channel between God and I was totally blocked with food, and so my life, my life was actually getting kind of you know progressively worse. I was sitting back waiting to be rocketed into a fourth dimension, but it's pretty hard to be rocketed when you're eating the way I was. You know, where I was just basically eating to live. It, it looked okay on the outside for a while because I had a job and a, you know material possessions, but um, summary along the line, which is why I believe today that um, the main problem centers in the mind. I decided it was a good idea to um, sponsor myself, which was a total disaster. And my life really started to unravel at the time that, um, I, that I took over the sponsorship. And uh, it was just the progression of the disease, you know, the eating and the, um, and the um, yeah, just the insanity. Um, so, you know, eventually my marriage broke up. Uh, I was living apart from my kids. You know, seeing, you know, having them a couple of days a week. I'd fill the the fridge with fruit and vegetables, which would actually which would actually start to rot because I was just eating takeaways the whole time. I was just, you know, my daughter had a standing joke that, um, you know, she'd come around and see all these pizza boxes, you know, sort of littered around the place. So I always made sure that they weren't there when she was coming around. But most of the time they were, you know, that was just the way I lived, you know, like 
my life was so unmanageable that um, I couldn't do the washing. Um, if I needed a towel, I'd run down, I wouldn't run, I'd drive down to the department store in Kaipo and buy a new one, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I, was, I was getting sicker and sicker. And I knew I could never shake the, I could never shake the thought that, I, well, I, I knew I was an addictive eater. I knew I was exactly like those people from that first meeting. And um, yeah, so while I was thinking of, um, while I was mentioning that, that friend of mine who sent me a message today, is that um, I was thinking after that, that um, about you know, surrender and how surrender for me has always come from asking for help. It hasn't come from, you know, and this might work for other people, I don't know, but it hasn't come from sitting on you know, on the beach in the lotus position at sunrise, you know, um, instantly accepting that there's a, there's a power greater than me. It's always come through the experience of other people and the, you know, the asking the asking for help because in doing that, I was admitting I couldn't do it. You know, and um, so um, why, why I say that is that I believe my recovery here started when I asked for help here. Um, and I, you know, I got to the point where the eating was, you know, was, you know, killing me, you know, like physically, but, you know, mentally, emotionally, whatever, you know, and spiritually, certainly. And, you know, I was away overseas working and, um, you know, I ended up, a uh, you know, really embarrassing situation of my own making, and uh, I remember being back in the hotel. It was expensive too. It was a you know a twelve hundred dollar mistake that I made, and I remember in this hotel room in Paris, sitting there just knowing that I was as powerless over food as I was over alcohol, and that I needed to come back here when I got home, and I needed to do what was suggested here because I'd come in and out over the years. But I was never willing to do what people here were doing, and um, it didn't stop me eating for the rest of that trip. But I knew that something was changing. Uh, I still ate myself, ate my way around, um, you know, Europe for a couple more weeks. But uh, so when I did get home and uh, repaid the money I owed my company, and I did start coming back to meetings. But I still tried to keep that. I, I still had that kind of what it talks in the twelve and twelve as anxious apartments. You know, I still felt different, and uh, you know, I remember having all these sort of. I had all these barriers to coming back here, and one and one was, you know, gender, which is you know it sounds crazy now, but it was sort of you know, I I'd kidded myself that, you know, this was a woman's problem. You know, um, don't believe that today, and uh, it was never true. But, um, and another one was that I'd, it was the same program as AA, so I just need to go there. Uh, that never worked for me neither. I'm definitely somebody that needs to be around recovering addictive eaters. And the, uh, yeah, so, so I, I came to meetings, but I still wasn't kind of um, fully in the hub for a while. I was still trying to do it myself. And uh, I used to go to this lunchtime meeting, which was, Basically, sort of, I think it had been a big meeting once, but it was sort of petering out a bit. It was on, a, I think it was on a Thursday or something. Um, and at one particular meeting, there was only one other person there, and and she was new, like me, 
but she got a sponsor and was on a food plan and you know she was cheering about how you know, how great this was and so after the meeting I I, I badgered her for her food plan you know she and she very reluctantly told me what she was um, having I went back to the office and I wrote it down and so I I had you know her breakfast and her lunch and then Tony's dinner and so when I woke up in the morning all I could think about was Tony's dinner you know what I would be having that night and it was and my, it was like a, a you know a loop track in my mind you know well you did you didn't have much last night so maybe a bit more tonight or it was Indian last night so maybe oh Chinese were it was because I was going to this food court and basically just you know having free choice you know um, still you know totally obsessed with the food um, and a little while after that you know I, I, I just I remember you know I can still see the, the particular bit in the, in the old room at um, St. John's, you know, upstairs, where I, I I asked somebody who'd been around to my house all those years before, so I think it was 17 years earlier, um, how she thought it would work if I got a, uh, a food sponsor in, in this fellowship and kept my main sponsor in AA. My main sponsor in AA at that time was basically just a mate that I had a cup of coffee with occasionally after a meeting, you know. Um, and she looked at me and said, well, knowing you, Tony, that wouldn't work at all, and then turned away and walked away. And uh, so I, I must have brooded about that for a week. <laughs> but I can't remember ever making a decision that I was going to ask for help. But I remember the, the following Monday night, being back at that meeting, and sort of just wishing that the meeting would end, so I could go up and, you know, and... and and talk to the, you know, this person again, and uh, and I did. When the meeting was over, I you know, I went up and I and I asked if um, if she would help me, um, and I was I was asked was I entirely ready to give up the food, and I remember I, think, I remember saying I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think I am. I you know, I can't do it. And the next day, I was told to ring at a certain time, and I, I you know I couldn't wait to. You know, to make that call, and I found myself saying, yes, 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 that'll be fine, to all the things that in the past I thought, no, I could never do that, no, not for me. Um, and within an hour or so, I've got my then, I think he was 11, my son, with me at Farmers in Rangiora, buying all these kitchen utensils and things, that, you know, um, and starting a food plan. Yeah, but for a little while, I thought the answer was in the food plan. And um, I'd hear people say the answer's not in the food plan. And I think, well, what do they mean? You know? And what I, think, what, I, what I think they meant was um, the answer is in the 12 steps. It's the, 12, it's, the, it's the steps. It's God that expels the obsession. Um, but for me, the food plan was the equivalent of putting the plug in the jug you know, with alcohol. Um, but, uh, and I remember... I was I was a bit embarrassed at first to say that I was coming here. You know, people knew that I was an AA, and so my boss I told my boss that I would have to be away from work on Monday and Friday nights. So I had to be you know, I couldn't work Monday and Friday nights. And he said, "Oh, so you're off to AA?" And I, I wouldn't say yes, but I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't you know for a little while, and then um, I realised that that things had changed one night when I was in the uh, cafeteria at work where we had the TV on and I was having to prepare something for, you know, for my meal because I was 
I was pretty disorganized in those days, you know, and, um, and I was standing, you know, I, you know, I had my scales and measuring cups out and I was preparing this thing, you know, quite oblivious and just talking to people, workmates about what was on the news. And I couldn't believe it, you know, because I was always full of, I was always ashamed, you know, kind of. Um, so, yeah, my thinking changed despite myself. Uh, and I, I believe that, you know, that my recovery started from when I asked for help, you know, from, you know here, that prior to that, um, I was 13 years dry of alcohol and drugs, um, but I wasn't in recovery then, and, um, you know, I mean, I hear people here say that they've had two lives, and I hesitate to say this because I don't like, sort of, I don't mean it to sound like I'm trumping that, but um, I feel like I've had three lives. I've had the, the life, the life of full-on addiction, the life of half-baked addiction, which was what uh, recovery was what I was told when I got here that I was half-baked, which was true. Um, you know, so free of alcohol and drugs in AA, and then I've had you know sobriety as we know it in AEA, you know, free of all you know mind-altering substances. Um, and because you know since the day I asked for help, I haven't I haven't had to eat. Uh, no matter what's happened in my life, good or bad, and I know that's not me doing that. It's definitely God. It's definitely a power greater than me. I'd love to say that I've um, that I'm totally free of self, but that's not the case, you know. Um, and you know, the longer I the longer I'm here, the more I come to understand that the main problem centers in the mind. It's in my thinking. And uh, if I can just sit back on the couch, not literally, but you know, just sit back and watch those thoughts just go through, it's fine. But the, th the, th the thoughts I don't have today, is, no matter what happens, is I don't think of eating, drinking, or drugging. And, um, you know, I, I thought I'd be battling that all my life. So um, I get great hope here, just as I did that first time I came here and I heard people say that they didn't have the obsession to eat anymore. But um, I, I see people here getting better all the time, you know, just um, no, no matter how long they've been here. Um, and, you know, so one of the great bright spots, I think, is seeing people come in here and get well. And uh, so today, I, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not bashful about being a member of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. I'm happy to tell anyone because it's you know, definitely, um, you know, saved my life. And, you know, I mean, we talk in the big book about not regretting the past. For a while, I did regret that I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, stay here when I first came here. Um, but that wasn't my path at that time. You know, the self-will was so strong. You know, that had to be smashed. The ego had to be smashed a bit in that regard. Um, but, um, you know, I do believe today what I first heard at AA a long time ago was that... Um, there's no limit to how far you can go here because there's no limit to God. So, um, yeah, I'm grateful for Addictive Eaters Anonymous, and I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know it'll be here for many, many years, and uh, it's um, it's great to see new people come in. You know, like just having just having newcomers at the meeting recently has been a been a real boost. I've uh, really enjoyed that, Tina, and I, I think I've uh, run out of things to say, and I'll um, I'll just sit down. <laughs>